0: Well, hello, Abundant Life Church. It is so great to be with you. Uh, it has been a long time coming, and it is a thrill and a joy to be up here. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm the new guy here. Uh, I get to serve as lead pastor uh, in this next season, and, and I'm so excited to, to be with you. I'm so excited that you are here with us today. Uh, it, it's just been a wild ride for us. My family's been here for about a month now. And so we're learning there's a few things different uh, in, in Oregon than in Arizona. I don't know if you are aware of this. Uh, we've we've traded citrus for berries, so that's one thing we noticed, that's cool. Um, we traded sunshine for rain, or like I heard about a lot of rain that's supposed to be here, but uh, so far it's like heat and smoke, you know? And uh, I wake up in the morning and the sun looks like I'm on a Star Wars planet, and so that's kind of a, a new sensation for me. And, uh, and the heat is fine, No, we're used to heat, but uh, in Arizona we have air conditioning and my house here does not, um, which is illegal in Arizona. And so... <laughs> didn't even think that was something I should ask for, or didn't even know, you know? And so we're here and and we're excited. We're excited to to be a part of this with you. And I'm so excited to to share with you today. Today, we're beginning a brand new series called Narrative. And we're gonna talk about the power of a story. And so if you've got your Bibles with you today, go ahead and get those out. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 24. And so Luke, if you've got a a physical analog Bible, uh, you're gonna be in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you're gonna get your spot there. Uh, If you've got a digital version, you've got a Bible app on your phone, or even better, the ALC app, Uh, you can pull that up and and you can get the Bible accessed right there. I'd love for you to get your spot in Luke 24 so that when we get to the story today, you can read along uh, for yourself. Today, I want to share a little bit about me, a little bit of my story, and uh, and then a a story that I think is incredibly relevant uh, to what we're going through as a church right now. So we're going to look at both of those. Now, you may know by now I have a large family. Michelle and I have five kids. Uh, Here's a, a photo of us in Oregon. This is our our five children and, and uh, people ask, hey, what are your hobbies? I have five young kids. I don't have time for hobbies. Like these, these are my hobbies. This is what we do. Um, but they're, they're amazing. And what you may not know about them is they all, all our kids have a middle name from a New York Yankees baseball player. <laughs> That's right. So I'm a little bit of a baseball fan, just a tad. Uh, and, and we did gave all of our kids these Yankee names. I get asked all the time, why would you do that? Why would you give your kids Yankee names? And here's the answer. I have no idea. We just thought, kind of like started it with one of them and then realized we're kind of committed and, and it got going and going. And, and I have thought about like, I don't, there's not really great reason for it other than we wanted to give our kids a story. Now, most of the time, your middle name doesn't have huge significance unless it's some family name, but for most of us, it doesn't have a ton. And we thought, what if we gave our kids an initial story when they meet someone, a story to, to have something interesting to talk about? And this is the, the way stories work, right? Is one story kind of leads to another story and leads to another story. And, and so each of our kids have these middle names. Well, our oldest uh, is named after Don Mattingly. And so his middle name is Mattingly. And, and Don Mattingly, if you're not a baseball fan, was uh, the, the first baseman for the Yankees when I was a kid. And I, I grew up watching Don Mattingly and loving it and, and just being so impressed with him. And, and he was, you know, he was my, my idol when I was a kid, watching Don Mattingly play baseball. And so we, we named Gavin after him. Well, a few years ago, we, we were you know, in Arizona and there's spring training baseball in Arizona. It's a huge deal. And so we're like, hey, Don Mattingly at that time was the manager of the Dodgers. And we thought, what if we could somehow get Gavin to meet Don? Wouldn't that be really cool? And so we tried it and we, we brought Gavin out to a baseball game and, and, and uh, it turned out Don Maddenly wasn't there that day and it was a split squad. And so we're like, well, we'll try it again maybe next year. Well, next year rolls around like, let's give it a shot. So this time we came ready. We, we made a sign, we had everything decked out. I wanna show you Gavin and I ready for this moment. So here's the sign, it says, Don, please take a pic with my son, Gavin Maddenly. By the way, it's a few years ago. Gavin's much larger than this now, uh, so uh, uh, so this is what we we're do. We're, we're ready to go, right? And so uh, we get the sign, we're everything ready, or you know we're prepared. We get there an hour early. Nobody goes to a spring training game an hour early, especially in the heat of Arizona. But we're there, and like five minutes in, Gavin's like. Dad, I thought we were going to a baseball game. Like, what, what is this? I'm bored. I want cotton candy. I'm like, okay, hang in there, son. This is going to be amazing. And I'm trying to cast vision for him, right? This story, if it works out, is going to be unbelievable. He doesn't see it. And so he's like, whatever. And he's just hanging out there. And so I'm, I'm kind of hovering around the dugout where I'm hoping I see Don Mattingly emerge at some point. But we keep waiting and waiting. Waiting and time's going by and it's hot. Gavin's over it and we're we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. Finally, I start to see some movement in the dugout. So I'm I'm looking in, I'm watching. Bat boy comes out, another bat boy, a couple other staff comes out, and I'm just waiting, like please, please, please. Then all of a sudden, it's like the 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 the, uh, sun shines right down in the thing. (laughs) The angels sing. Don Mattingly emerges from the dugout and I realize it's go time. And that's when I know I've got one chance at this. I have one chance to say something profound that will get him to come over and talk to my son. And so I lean over the rail and I say the first thing that comes to my mind, hey, Don, I named a kid after you. Can I get a picture? That's when I realized how creepy that sounds audibly, you know, and I'm thinking, Ugh, I wouldn't get a picture with me. I mean, this is uncomfortable. And so I'm, I'm out there, I'm exposed, I'm hanging over the edge. I look over, he looks at me kind of like, seriously? You know, he looks at me and he goes, all right. I'm like, okay, Gavin, wake up. Come on, Gavin, get over here, get over here. <laughs> So Gavin comes rushing over and, we, and Don comes over and we have this unbelievable moment where I get to introduce my son to the person he was named after, who is also my, you know, childhood. I mean, he was like my player when I was a kid. And so here's a photo of the three of us having this conversation. It was this unbelievable moment. Yeah, applaud that. Cause I was like dad of the year right here. I mean, if you give that award, just slap it on me right there. It's the pinnacle, right? I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than that until Don Mattingly said something horrific to me. We're standing there, having this moment, feeling like I'm an amazing dad, and Don looks right at me and he says, Do you have a baseball for me to sign? Yeah, that would make sense. Um, <laughs> that would have been a good thing to bring. Um, uh, uh, I have a of a sign back. I mean who doesn't bring a baseball to this moment, right? I, I'm that guy. And so literally I go from like this awesome, moment, which I'm thinking of Gavin in counseling later in his life. And he's like, and then my dad didn't bring a baseball. And I don't know why he didn't bring, you know, it's like, I'm gonna have to work this through with him for years to come. And so I go from dad of the year to worst dad ever. I mean, it's like, Gavin's like, what? why would you not have gotten me that ball, dad? You know, like, it's just this whole thing. I'm dejected, distraught. I mean, I don't know what to say, so I'm like, Don, I didn't bring a ball. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Looks at me and goes, all right. Leans over to the dugout and he goes, hey, get me a ball. Ball boy. <laughs> Comes running out. Here you go, sir. Hands to me. Don Mattingly looks at me and he says, you have a pen? <laughs> now I should point out Don Mattingly used to be my favorite player. Used to. Right? I'm like, D- on, I don't. He's like, hold on. Smiles, grabs it from a fan standing next to it. So now there's like a line. Just grabs the pen from that guy, takes the ball that he just got, and he writes, "Gavin Mattingly, all my best, Don Mattingly." Hands it to my son. Back to Dad of the Year. Thanks to Don Mattingly. Nothing that I did. Yes. But this is the power of a story. Gavin and I love this story. This story is one of those moments that I hope he never forgets as long as he lives. And it became this story that creates more stories. Because good stories do that, right? They don't just stop with the story. It creates this momentum that just keeps going and going. So then the following year, we thought, what are the odds that we could do this again? And so this time I'm like, I'm not showing up an hour early. We go to the game like normal. In the middle of the game, I walk down there and I'm like, let's just see if this works. Let me show you a picture from uh, the following year. This is Don Mangley a year later in the middle of a game, taking a picture with my son. This guy's amazing. But this is what stories do. They just create more stories and more stories and the good ones keep you going. And this is what we're gonna talk about throughout this whole series, was when you have a story like that, it creates this momentum that you build on. You go, what's next? What's next? What's next? And so today I wanna explore a story to you that that is one of those stories that I think is gonna help us make sense out of the season we're in right now as a church, this unique season. And let me give you setup for what's gonna happen in Luke 24. So at this point in the story, here's what's going on with his disciples, Jesus' disciples. They've just watched the guy that they put all their hope in, all their trust in, all their faith in, they just watched him publicly uh, tortured, humiliated, and murdered. They're a little bit disoriented by that. And then when they're dejected, and a few days later, all of a sudden there's this, this other rumors, story going around, hey, his body isn't there. They're going, what, what happened to his body? Do you think, do you think he's, he's alive? Was that, was that we, literally he saying that or did someone steal it or what, what's going on? No, we haven't seen them, what's going on? So you have this really weird period of time where they put all their trust into Jesus, but they're not really sure anymore. They're not really sure what's going on in, in this moment. And so we pick up the story in Luke 24 with a couple of his disciples just having a normal day. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They're walking down the road having a conversation about all these things that have just taken place. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Notice the next phrase, but they were kept from recognizing him. This is is an interesting detail. Now, these guys are having this conversation. They're not just discussing facts. It's not just, hey, I heard, da, 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 I heard. They're discussing what does it mean? And so the text, the original language implies this is an emotional conversation, right? Because ah, I don't know what we're gonna do now. What do you think we should do? And what does that mean? I don't know what it means. And they're going back and forth. They know about the empty tomb. They don't know what the empty tomb means. And so they're wrestling back and forth. You could say they're debating. They're exchanging words with one another, trying to figure this out. And in the midst of them, Jesus shows up. But notice this phrase in verse 16, such an interesting phrase, but they were kept from recognizing him. Some versions, depending on which version you have, says God kept them from recognizing him. I have a few questions when I read a a statement like that, right? Question number one, why? Why would God do this? Why would God intentionally keep his own followers from recognizing him? Question number two, Does God still do this today? Does God still have us walk with Jesus and we can't actually see him? We can't actually see what's going on in front of us even though we're surrounded by him? Here's what I have found in my own life that Jesus may keep you from what you think you know to show you what you don't know. See, sometimes it's Jesus himself that is stopping you in your knowledge because your knowledge can be the block for your growth. Sometimes we know so much about God, we go, I got this figured out, God. He's going, no, you actually can't see anymore. You actually aren't aware. So in this moment, these disciples, they're the experts on Jesus. If you wanna know what Jesus was like, you'd ask these guys. And then in the moment, they can't even recognize him because sometimes Jesus has to show us what we don't know. Now, this is true for you, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. Because the longer you're a Christian, the more you get this sense of, yeah, I got that thing figured out. I'm I'm aware of how that whole Christianity thing works. I I know all the the answers. See, I was raised as a preacher's kid. Not only was I raised in a Christian home, but I was raised in the church. I mean, I've been around this as long as I can remember. I've heard these stories for decades. I, I know this. And yet I remember when I met my wife, Michelle, we met in high school, that Michelle had recently come to faith as a teenager. And so her experiences with the faith were much different than mine. And so early on in my preaching, I would say things like, well, you know, you all know the story of Abraham. And afterward, we'd be at lunch. And he goes, uh, who's Abraham? Who's Abraham? Abraham? Uh, Father Abraham? You know, the song, Father Abraham. I mean, like, no, nothing? I mean, she's like, no, I've never heard of him. I'm like, what is going on? And I just realized the way that knowledge is, you just kind of start assuming things. Everybody knows this. And, and of course, this is the thing. And you stop looking at it uniquely. And so here they are, they're walking along. They know all these things about Jesus. And yet, they don't recognize Jesus in their midst. They don't recognize that he's the one walking with them. Verse 17, Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Now, not only is this an emotional conversation, these guys are beat up right now. I mean, it's like the world is coming crashing down around them. And so Jesus asked them a question. They're just like, you know, just looking down. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You may not realize this, but this is sarcasm in the Bible. He's looking at him going, You have got to be kidding me. Are you the only one in Jerusalem that does not know what just happened? Where have you been? What rock did you just crawl out from under? How could you miss it? And notice Jesus' response What things? He asked. I love this about Jesus. Jesus could have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Mm-hmm, Yep. Yeah, nope, okay, cool. I didn't know, didn't know if you were talking about that. Now I know. Okay, cool, I'm in. No, no, Jesus goes, what things? What? What things? This is his response to when they set this up for him? What things? I love this because Jesus tended to give more questions than he gave answers. And in a lot of us, we don't like questions, we try to avoid questions as much as possible. You realize when you're a parent that you can't avoid this, right? My kids ask me questions like they're searching for something on Google. Like this is the way the, the conversation goes. Earlier this year, my seven-year-old said to me, Dad, what makes bouncy balls bounce? I don't know, son. In, re- in response to that, he said, well, you should go back to college and figure that out. <laughs> Duly noted. Okay. Uh, this week... My eight-year-old asked me, uh, we're talking about the Yankees and we're talking about one of the pitchers. And he said, "Dad, has that pitcher thrown uh, a game uh, this season, uh, four and two thirds innings? I don't know. He's like, dad, you're a baseball fan. How do you 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 like the Yankees? I'm like, I don't know if he threw a game this season with four and two, I don't know that level of things. But he has this expectation. You know what I've realized about church? We have this expectation, if you're a good Christian, you don't have any questions anymore. If you're a good Christian, if you're doing it right, you already got all those answers. And then if you have to ask the question, oh, look at that person, he doesn't, he doesn't know about that one. And we start having this understanding of, no, you, you don't ask the questions. You just get the answers and then act like you know them and act really certain about it. And yet that's not what I find in the people who actually follow Jesus. They asked questions, they wrestled, and then Jesus prompted them to ask deeper questions, to keep going, even when they thought they had this figured out. Because I grew up in the church, uh, I knew all the church answers to everything. I was baptized when I was in the third grade. I have asked every question in the church that, that you can possibly think of asking. I'd asked them, and I heard all the answers, and then I just accepted them all, and those were the answers. And then in the last probably five, 10 years of my life, I started exploring Jesus on a deeper level. And I started realizing, you know, what? I should question some of the questions. I should question some of the answers that I've got that I've just accepted for years and years and years. And as I've explored them deeper, as I've asked Jesus to show me new things, he has. And I've arrived at different conclusions than I had when I was a kid. And yet, this is the process of following Jesus. And a lot of us were not really comfortable with that. I just want to have it figured out. I don't want to keep asking these questions. I don't want to keep wrestling with it deeper. And yet that's what they experience when they walk on the road with Jesus. And so these disciples are walking this road. They're trying to figure it out. Jesus asks them what things. And then they answer him. You can keep reading the next verse. They answer him. They give him all the best understanding that they have. All right, Jesus, you know, they don't know who it is. Hey, new guy, you sound like you don't have a clue about this. We'll fill you in. So they, they fill them in on all these things. And then if you jump down to verse 25, you get to Jesus' response to them once they give them their best answers. Okay, this, we'll make this make sense for you. Here's what Jesus says in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. I love that. These are the answers you got. Okay, go, go back, try again. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, notice this phrase, Jesus continued on as if he were go- going farther. He pretends like he can't stop, that he's got to keep walking further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So Jesus here sits down and he explains, without them knowing who he is, how all of the Old Testament points to him. He goes through Moses and the prophets. Hey, everything that you've believed, let me actually show you that it all is a story about me. Can you imagine being a part of that conversation, being a fly on the wall for that? I'd love to hear Jesus explain that. We're actually gonna dive into this uh, in a series in in January called Pixelated. We're gonna look at Old Testament stories that point us to Jesus, even though you may not have ever saw the connection. This is what Jesus is doing here, going, hey, let me show you a story about me, even though you haven't ever seen it that way. You've never noticed that was it. And yet there's this transitional nature. As they get to their destination, they just assume, Jesus, you're gonna come in with us. They don't know who it is, but hey, come, come dine with us, friend. And oh, I got, ew, I got other things I gotta keep. No, no, come on, please, please. I love this about Jesus. See, just when you think, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna lock him down, it, it doesn't seem to work like that. See, when you start feeling comfortable with Jesus, he tends to move. Just the moment you start going, okay, I, I got this figured out, I'm, I'm really good at this. He starts to move and you go, whoa, 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 stay, stay, no, 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 no. where are you going? No, it's just, just be right here. Just, ah, ah, we had this figured out. We were, we were kind of, and Jesus goes, no, I, I have something else to go to. I got something else to do. It's almost as if Jesus doesn't value our comfort. It's almost as if he's going, look, I'm not really concerned with you having all the answers. I, I want you to follow me and I'm going to keep moving. So you're going to have to keep following. You don't get to, to settle in because you've got everything figured out this resonates a lot with what we're going through right now as a church. See, Pastor George led us through an amazing chapter one of decades of faithfulness, decades of God showing up in this community, of God transforming lives, of God working miracles, of God doing things that only God can do in your midst. And yet this is not a one chapter church. This is not a church that goes, well, that was great. Let's just maintain it as long as we can until we're done. No, it's a church where we go, it's time for us to start looking ahead, to go, Jesus, you you are moving now. You are doing something new. How do we get on board with that? We had a staff meeting last week and Pastor Dave Parole shared something with the staff that thought was such a helpful analogy. He he said, it's it's as if as a staff, you know, we're all on this dance floor and we've been dancing uh, to this music together and it's been great. And suddenly we're realizing that the music is changing. And the old dance moves don't seem to work as well as they used to because the song isn't the same song that it was. And when the, the music changes, the dance has to change. The dance has to keep up with the music and you have to keep adjusting it. And if the reality is that might sound scary, but we're still on the same dance floor. We're still with the same people or we're still in the same environment. And yet there's this new song that's playing and we learn to dance with it. We go, okay, Jesus, what are you doing now? That's precisely what these disciples are having to do. They're having to learn a new dance. See, notice where they're walking. They're walking away from Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about, the, you know, the Jewish culture, especially at this time, Jerusalem is the hub. I mean, Jerusalem was the last place they saw Jesus, and they saw him killed there. Jerusalem is the holy city. I mean, that is where something's going to happen. It's going to happen in Jerusalem, and they're walking away from it because, in their minds, this story's over. Story's done, he was killed. It doesn't go on anymore. And so you can imagine them walking dejected and distraught as they walk on this road. And then suddenly when they least expect it, they meet Jesus on a new road. It's a road that they haven't walked before like this. See, they're expecting everything's in the past and Jesus meeting them in this moment. And it teaches us something important about our faith. We must be willing to release how we've experienced God in the past to find Jesus in the future. We must be willing to release the ways that God met us previously. Because when you hold on too tightly to those ways, you start to put God in a box, you start to say, God, you have to always respond to me like this. You have to always meet me here like this. And Jesus doesn't work like that. So even though they have experienced Jesus in Jerusalem, they have to keep walking. They have to find him now on a road because he's not in Jerusalem right now, he's on a road walking away from Jerusalem. And then when they get together, verse 30 tells us how this scene kind of concludes. It says when he was at the table with them, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then this line, and he disappeared from their sight. I mean, are you catching the nature of Jesus here, right? The moment they go, <gasps> He's gone. Like, wait, I thought, oh, no, I didn't see him. What what, what happened? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is an amazing scene. Jesus begins to celebrate communion with them. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, this light goes on. Their eyes were opened. And then he's gone. he's not there anymore. And they're sitting there talking going, how could we have missed it? How could we not have seen Jesus. And here's my question for you, when's the last time in your life, you would say that Jesus opened your eyes? Not just like, oh, I had a new thought today, but like, I have never thought that before. I have never seen my life like that before. I have totally changed my view on this because of what Jesus has just opened my eyes, the way that he has done that. When's the last time you had that experience? Some of you might say, well, when I was a kid and. You know, I first became a believer or, you know, right, right when I got baptized, I had that moment. But if you're not having it on a regular basis, I think you're missing the adventure following Jesus. It's an adventure where the closer you get to him, the more he keeps opening your eyes, the more he keeps asking you new questions that you already thought you had the answers to. And he keeps going, oh, there's, there's more, there's more. And Jesus opens their eyes and allows them to see things they've never seen before. I love the way that the theologian, Walter Brueggemann said it. So the imagination must come before the implementation. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. See, we're good at implementing, now yeah, let's just get to work. Let's just, let's just figure this thing out as opposed to just sitting and imagining and dreaming. This was written uh, nearly 50 years ago and it, it captures the spirit of us today as well. If you keep reading the story, you get to verse 45. And it says this about Jesus, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He opens their eyes to see him. Then he opens their minds so they can understand the words that have been written about him. And all of a sudden these things begin to click into gear for them. They begin to make sense of things that they've never seen. So here's my question for us today, church. How does God wanna use your imagination? If you were to ask Jesus, you can open my eyes to anything. What would he do with your imagination? If you begin to dream big dreams and go, Jesus, just invite me to dream in new ways. What kind of things would you dream about? And I was trying to think of what's the opposite of dreaming. I would suggest it's probably settling. That you can dream a dream of this could be something new or you can go, ah, I'll just fine with what is. I'll just settle down for what is and that will be good enough. And that's not what Jesus invites us to do. So when it comes to your marriage, are you dreaming? Are you settling? Are you dreaming about what God could do, about God could restore and God can make it you know, ever better? Or are you just thinking it'll always be this way? See, that's how you get to divorce is you just settle in a marriage. It's, uh, it's never gonna change. It's always gonna be this way. This is how it is. But if you start dreaming, God, what could you do? God, I, I know that we probably can't figure this out, but maybe you could do something here. You start to, to imagine a different future. What about with your kids? you dreaming or are you settling? Well, that's just how they are. You know, it's not gonna ever change. You dreaming for them every day? You dreaming for them, praying new prayers? Or are you settling? This is always the way it'll be, it'll never get better. With your career, are you dreaming or are you settling? God, what could you do with, with my life and my, my profession? Oh, I just, this is good enough for a paycheck, I'll just do this. When it comes to your spiritual gifts, are you using them in a way that is dreaming Oh, I just can't wait to see how God is going to use this next for the church. Or are you settling? I don't, I don't have any spiritual gifts. I don't have anything the church needs for me. I'm not going to do anything. Or are we dreaming? As a church collectively right now, what would we say we're doing? Are we dreaming about what could be in this next chapter? Or are we settling to say chapter one was amazing. Let's stop there. Let's just be good with that. See, I, I got to tell you, I've already been amazed by you as a church. See, we, we've watched, you know, a lot going on in our, our country right now, around the world right now. And as a church, we're in the middle of transitions. There's a lot of moving pieces. We're, you know, figuring some things out here. And we just thought, you know what? We need to bring some, some huge needs before you guys. And, and there's a lot going on, but it would be weird not to do that. And so last week we talked about the hurricane in, in Texas. And said, hey, we're just going to ask if you would step up on, on top of your giving that you're already doing, would you be willing to, to find some margin to, to give to those who are hurting? And church, you already gave nearly $7,500 to that. And it's been incredible to watch you guys step up for that. And now this weekend, we're watching another hurricane in another state. We're watching people in need all around this this world. The reality is, I, I celebrate the fact that we can be a church that says, God, we will be your hands and your feet. We will be the ones that will step up. We will sacrifice of ourselves for others so that you can be glorified, so that you can be praised. And we wanna be at church like that, that's that's gonna take some dreaming to do, not settling. One of my favorite things that I've loved about uh, Portland so far is uh, going to Powell's bookstore. I don't know if you guys are a fan of this, but as an outsider, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen. So literally first time I was there, I felt like I was at Disneyland. I'm a little kid, it's amazing. Uh, I love to read and I love books and just love the whole experience. Well, the other day I was uh, reading the theology section, which I know is a section you all are very familiar with. And I was looking through books and I came across this book. Uh, And I know that some of you are thinking this is my family Bible. This is not. Uh, This is a book I found at PALS called Theological Colloquies, uh, which is a really old school way of saying conversations about God. And I I looked at this book and I went, nothing looks old. And so I opened it and I found out that this book was printed in 1837. And so I'm holding this book, and it's just like I'm going back in time just imagining these conversations, imagining the people reading these conversations. It just drew me into this experience. And then I had this kind of morbid realization that in 1837, all the people who are having these theological conversations about God are all dead now. Right? They're all dead. And I'm like, man, that's kind of a depressing thought. And then God followed it right up with this. But here you are having these same conversations today. Here the churches having these same conversations about God today. You see, the story goes on and on and on and on. The music has changed, but it has not stopped playing. Jesus keeps going a little further and a little further and a little further. And he invites us to follow. He invites us to release all the comfort, all that we think we know, and, and, and with open hands embrace a new future. Embrace the unknown with him. And when we start to do this, we start to see Jesus in new ways. In his new book, The Last Arrow, uh, Pastor Erwin McManus says it like this. It said, Jesus clearly imparted to all his disciples, you cannot follow me into the future if you are holding on to your past. Some things in the past are really good that we wanna hold on to. Some are really hurtful that we hold on to as well. And yet, the invitation is to release those into the future and go, okay, Jesus, what are you doing now? What are you doing in our midst? And so, as I close, I want to ask a simple question. I don't know if you caught it in this story, but what was the moment, what was the trigger that allowed the disciples to recognize Jesus? The moment was when he started celebrating communion. That when he began to break the bread, break the bread, and he had these elements with them, all of a sudden the light goes off for them. They go, it's Jesus. It was in the moment where everything began to make sense. That this, this person we saw killed, we, we saw suffer, we saw him die. He's not dead anymore. That all of these teachings are, 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 are validated because he's alive in our midst. He's still here. That this upside down kingdom he told us about actually can work because of him and the power of what God is doing in his life. And that same power is available to us today. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna invite our ushers forward and we're gonna celebrate communion together as a church. Because it is this moment that invites us to redirect our attention to Jesus. Not where we've been, not where we're going, just go, Jesus, we see you now. We might not have recognized you in our midst all the time, but right now we, we can see you. We can recognize what you're doing because of the cross. See the cross shows us what God really looks like. That's what God's like. The self-sacrificial enemy loving person who goes, you know what, you've made the mistakes, I'll cover it for you. I will welcome you and I will suffer for you. That's what God looks like. And he invites us into this to go and be that to the world around us. And so as a church, we're just gonna spend some time remembering what Jesus has done for us, celebrating that this is what allows us to see him no matter the ways that we have missed him. In the past, it allows us to dream a new dream as we open our imagination to Him. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we are amazed at what you continue to do in our midst. We're amazed at how you walk with us, even in the moments we don't recognize you, even the moments we might think we're alone. You lovingly walk with us as we bring our very best answers to you and we're so impressed with them. And yet you acknowledge that there's things that we're not seeing yet. And yet as a church, you invite us to explore you, to follow you on this road, wherever the road may go. And it's gonna involve us leaving behind and releasing some things in the past to see what you wanna do in the future. And yet let us not miss the invitation before us. Let us see this incredible opportunity. God, would you open our eyes to see you, open our minds to understand all that we have read and experienced about you. God, be very present in our midst as we celebrate your act of love for us on the cross. We pray all this in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen.